Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and I've got Lauren with me this week. How have you been? I'm good. It's um, almost 1am and I'm ready to talk some hoops. Yeah, ready to talk some hoops about swoops. So let's get into chatting about this week's selection, and it is a documentary from 2013, ESPN Films' Swoops. To give a little bit of a background relating to the content of the documentary, it focuses on former WNBA player Cheryl Swoops. Now, some of Cheryl's accolades include being the first player signed to the WNBA, selected by the Houston Comets, a three-time WNBA MVP, a four-time WNBA champion, a six-time WNBA All-Star, including one All-Star Game MVP, five-time WNBA first-team selection, two-time WNBA second-team selection, two-time WNBA All-Defensive first-team selection, three-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year, and two-time scoring champion and steals leader. Um, That's only at the WNBA level. That's nothing compared to any other accolades that she's won, any endorsements or Hall of Fames that she's been inducted to. So you can understand it's such a decorated uh, career for her. But back to the content of the film, it documents Cheryl and chronicles her life from her upbringing and family life to becoming a basketball player and everything that came with that from college to the WNBA, all including the highs of the success that she felt um, or experienced in the sport uh, with the triumphs and the trophies, but also the lows in terms of the struggles within her own life, uh, within the sport, and that includes money, love, and support. And I think that uh, Cheryl summed it up um saying of doing this documentary that she was tired of reading about her life story and therefore wanted to tell it herself and I think that she did so but Lauren this is an episode that I know that you've been excited about ever since you first sort of flagged it to me as a suggestion and we're finally doing it obviously while the WNBA playoffs are currently taking place Um, but to you what makes this documentary so special and more generally what do you love about it? I think what makes this documentary really special to me personally is because I'm from Houston and Cheryl Swoops played for the Houston Comets. So I think what kind of really drew me into this is there's also like not really a lot or any at all um, archived type of documentaries about the Comets. There's kind of just like nothing anymore. And then 2013, the documentary on Cheryl Swoops comes out. And of course, it's kind of, you know, centralized on her but it's also like it also takes you into how the comets were in those first four years and kind of how the different you know personalities that made up the team how they became successful winning the first four championships I think that's kind of what struck me the most about this documentary and she's also one of the greatest um, WNBA players to ever play so you don't lead a team to four straight championships without being one of the best in in the world so I think that's kind of really what like struck to me is that it's also my hometown it's where I was born where I was raised uh, where I lived until I went off to college where I live now and I think that's probably why it's just like really special to me yeah no I can definitely understand all of that and I think for me like what I really liked about this documentary like I obviously don't have that sort of like same experience as you and um, you know sort of 
came to sort of understand or know about the story um, and everything involved in the story and Cheryl Swoops's life either. And so like for me, um, you know, as a bit of an outsider um, to see, you know, everything of like a subject that I didn't really know about, a person that I didn't really know about. I thought that um, Hannah Storm, who was the director of this uh, this short documentary, um, I thought that she did a really good job at like sort of capturing every bit of like essence about Cheryl. And like, I think it helped that they sort of like knew each other um, from back in the day as well and have obviously like kept that friendship um, up and up to doing this documentary as well um but like yeah i think that yeah so what i found about um really great about this documentary is like viewing it for like sort of like the first time or like learning to understand and know about these things for the first time and so like you know doing that with like a fresh set of eyes i think that it really like allowed me to open up a bit more and sort of like take in a lot more about what was said without really knowing or um, anything anything about the story previously I mean like you know I said that Cheryl was sort of tired of reading about her life in um, you know stories and just other bits of commentary and yeah I think that because I didn't have that previously then like this you know telling of her story by herself and a few other prominent people in her life I think um, yeah it just really gave me I think the right amount of like insight that I really needed to know this story yeah I would agree with you I mean I the first time I ever saw it was actually in March 2020 so like COVID just you know shut everything down uh couldn't you know go anywhere sports were gone and I was like you know I've, I've had this documentary on my list forever and I just never you know found time to watch it because I was so busy with school both with um, high school when it came out and then college and, you know, the world shut down. So I was kind of watching it in a sense with a fresh pair of eyes, but I kind of, you know, had the gist of the story. But I didn't know, you know, a lot of the details of Cheryl, you know, like her upbringing, why she, you know, went to UT, but then didn't go to UT and went to Texas. It's like, I didn't know, like, you know, the intimate details but like who who would know the intimate details except for herself so i thought it was kind of just really nice to be able to kind of like see it again and then to see the different stuff that i might not have like caught on to immediately yeah definitely i think that yeah it definitely helped um you know having cheryl as sort of the uh, one of the main voices of this and um yeah like i said like it just you definitely got the sense that, you know, everything was explained um, really well, whether it came from her or whether it came from somewhere else. Like it touched on those moments where, you know, you saw the darker aspects of her life and like what it meant to her as well. And so I think, yeah, just like as a collective, like seeing or hearing um, her talk about her career and what she has planned for the future and, and bearing in mind that this was released nine years ago as well, like, you know, obviously you know it would feel different like viewing it for the first time in 2013 when it came out versus viewing it you know down the line as well like you said and you know like me who's only just watched it this past week um you know like it's gonna feel different at every point where you watch it yeah for sure and I think that's kind of like the same with any any movie any documentary is 
even if you know literally everything about the subject, then you can finally kind of go back and, you know, realize different things. It's just like watching um, a TV show for the millionth time. It's like every time you watch it, you're probably going to find something different. You're probably going to be like, oh, that happened. And I think that was probably what it was like for me with this documentary, seeing it again over two years later. All right. Our next two prompts usually on this podcast ask, what references to history are there? How true to the sport is the movie? Now, we might focus here on a few of the stories that have come out um, within the documentary, uh, namely things like Cheryl's college career and how she took that break before moving to Texas Tech, where she first sort of really made a name for herself, her time in the WNBA and with the Houston Comets and all their success. Um, and we'll touch on the Houston Comet Comets not existing anymore, unfortunately. Um, and then we'll obviously talk about her coming out and everything involving her sexuality and the effect of that. But we might first start, um, you know, with one of the sort of early stories that we hear in this documentary, and that is Cheryl's college career, uh, where she goes to, you know, college, but then sort of takes a little bit of a break and comes back and um, moves to Texas Tech. And uh, it was there where she really like sort of, you know, took her game to the next level and started getting noticed and started um, getting sort of like the really big sort of fan support as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, one thing that I th think I saw or like, you know, one thing that I have to say about that is like, in a way, like to me at least, like it's sort of like glossed over it a little bit in terms of like why she felt the need to, um, move, why she felt the need to take the break and like, didn't really like explain much at the time. Um, that would be the only sort of like detriment that I have in terms of like, um, you know, looking at this particular part solely. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, I guess like, you know, it would have been nice to have like that bit more of an insight, but I know that like that, you know, wasn't maybe not really like necessarily, you know, such an important thing to put in, you know, the documentary at the end. So I think the target audience, in my opinion, of course it's ESPN, it's worldwide, but really the target audience was probably Americans mm -hmm. but even then Americans don't really know the geography of Texas so I mean I can I guess I can kind of explain this is uh UT University of Texas is in the capital and it's in Austin it's a big city um in Brownsfield where Cheryl's from where she grew up it's small it is a very very small city up in West Texas it's over in the panhandle it's like it's just there's not a lot of people there there's maybe like maybe 50,000 if I'm being generous like I I don't really like know like how many people there are up in Brownsfield um actually I just looked it up there as of 2010 there's a little less than 10,000 so I was being a little no. generous <laughs> being very generous so she comes from like this small town right up in the Panhandle in West Texas, there's not really anything up there. Like you have Amarillo and you have like Lubbock, but even then there's really just not anything there. It's just kind of like you go up and then you're in Oklahoma or you go West and you're in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. You go down to Austin, which is a few hours away. Remember, Texas is very big. You go down, it's a few hours away. If you grow up in like a small town, 
and then you abruptly just kind of get up and you move to a giant city type of thing and giant as in it's the capital of texas there's a lot going on um you you're gonna kind of get a little nervous probably i think what she was probably feeling and what we kind of gathered at least what i gathered from what her mom was saying is just kind of like this is not like the right place for you Mm -hmm. because a lot of college or high school students rather a lot of them are attracted to the school based on prodigy based on kind of location cheryl swiss is one of the best in the nation in her class like you're gonna want to go to a perennial um program and that perennial program was the university of texas as it said in there they were national champions they're like you wanted to go there if you wanted to like get scouted for overseas because there was no wnba yet when she was there it's like you want to go to like university of texas and that is in the state so ideally like you're not you know moving out to like east coast to go to yukon you're not moving out west coast to go to like usc you're staying in your state yeah and we know that like she leaves around a weekend nothing's happened yet and she has to go to juco um and there's no uh, no flack on juco she was going right where she was um and that's what she had to do so that she could get comfortable and then she decided okay i'm gonna go to texas tech which back then was not really a sports school it's kind of just like you go up there you're in the middle of nowhere in the panhandle Mm-hmm. and you're playing sports yeah cool but it wasn't like it's not like what it was like now with texas tech men's basketball getting into like you know the final four a few years ago it, it just it wasn't like that back then so you're going there and it's just like why is like someone who's like one of the best in the nation going to texas tech like why are you going to this subpar quote-unquote school and you go there because well that's like you know where you feel right it's an hour away from Brownsfield. Like you're close to home. You can easily get home. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's an emergency for some reason, your parents can get there. Your parents can go to your game. So it would be her mom and her brothers can like easily go to your game. It's closer to proximity and it's closer to her family. So I think that's kind of really why it maybe like, wasn't like explicitly just like said, Mm-hmm. I think that's probably why it was glossed over because the intended target was um, Americans. And a lot of them was also Texans who liked the comments, you know, back in the day. Um, I do agree that if this came out like now in like 2022, I think they would probably have gone more in depth in it because it's, you know, becoming more of a worldwide phenomenon of like the rise of women's sports a lot of people are really being able to access the WNBA in other countries now with mm-hmm. league pass so I feel like um the glossing over and everything would have gone more in depth had it come out you know now nine years later yeah definitely um and I think like part of like the glossing over as well like was that two or three years span between her graduation um, or that final year of hers in 1993 at Texas Tech and then the Olympics in 1996 as well. Um, And so, like, yeah, it sort of, like, took that jump between, like, you know, her finishing her schooling or her college career and then going to the Olympics, whereas, like, you know, you know, to me, like, I don't know what happened in that period either um, and I don't think it was properly explained. 
so like yeah it's not like specified like what she was doing in like those few years i know that like in 1994 she was on the usa uh world team getting ready to go compete in sydney under um hall of fame coach tara vanderveer who's stanford's coach right now um going for like the 1995 pan-american games like they're kind of like you know doing usa stuff Mm. and all that but then they did not specify the overseas things so she did go overseas she went to italy and then she went to russia back to italy then she went you know to greece but like in that span of time in 1993 to 1994 she was in italy and then the um russia 04 to 05 italy 0506 and 2010 was in greece so she was doing some stuff but then it's also it's kind of like well why didn't you like specify it you know and then what was she doing in 95 like i guess she was you know they were getting ready in the summer to for like the pan-american they were getting ready for the 96 olympics that's probably what she was doing so she probably wasn't you know overseas she's probably preparing for usa basketball stuff but it is not, you know, explicitly said until they get to the point where they show, you know, the 1996 um, Olympic team. So, yeah, I agree. It's like they kind of like left you in the dark kind of being like, did she did she go overseas? Like, you know, all of these, you know, women's basketball players did. Mm-hmm. Or was she just like, you know, sitting at home twiddling her thumbs? Like, what what was she doing? <laughs> so I, I do agree with you. I do wish that like they specified what she was doing before the uh, preparation for the 96 Olympics. You know, like, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think that, yeah, she was obviously doing some things, um, you know, progressing her career, um, you know, in a more, more of a professional way um, prior to the Olympics and all the time with the national team. Um, So, yeah, like it's it's good to know that she was doing stuff and wasn't just twiddling her thumbs at home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the next point we'll touch on is her time in the WNBA and with the Houston Comets um, and obviously all of their success. Um, they won the first four championships of the WNBA, four straight. It was a dynasty team. Um, and, yeah, I guess, like, the whole part about, you know, her not being or, like, being, like, this real marquee player, first player to sign for the league, um, and essentially not being there for like opening day, um, the first six weeks of the tournament because she was pregnant and giving birth or, you know, she was giving birth on the day on, on opening day. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. um, but regardless, wasn't there for the first month and a half of this new season that where she was one of those ones who, one of those people who were like really being like marketed and marketable um, in the, you know, to the league in general um and yeah so like i think that like it touched on that you know really well um and obviously she came back and they won that first championship and then the second year was when she you know was able to be a starting player um right from the start of the season and then help them throughout that way as well um but yeah like houston were a dynamic team um and i think they said in the documentary as well that like the Boston Celtics and the NBA are the only other team to um, win four straight championships. I don't know yeah. um, since then whether that's true across. Yep. Yeah. It cool. is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's really cool. So obviously, yeah, the Houston Comets um, were a dynasty team. Um, you know, they had their own problems that you saw uh, within the team as well, but 
it was established that as soon as they got out on the court, they were playing for each other. They wanted to create or continue this success. Um, but yeah, obviously all that success um, or despite that success in 2008, um, I guess, yeah, they just uh, disbanded from the competition. And yeah, I guess like all of it started in, in terms of like, you know, the disbandment of the Comets like started in 2007 when their team owner Hilton Cock announced that the Comets would move from the Toyota Center to Reliant Arena for the 2008 season and it resulted in a loss of fans and um, you know it sort of like that arena sort of housed a lower number or lower amount of fans um, than the Toyota Center as well and um, you know essentially like that you know, it was part of the reason, but, you know, yeah. So I think like, it's just really interesting to see that, you know, for whatever, or like whatever success that the Comets uh, experienced in their early days, that there were still troubles down the line. And like, it's really unfortunate that they're not part of the competition anymore. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of like makes you think like, how can this happen? Mm. How can you have a team that won the first four championships that literally had three of the best players like right now in the sense of like you had Cheryl Swoops you had Cynthia Cooper and you had Tina Thompson like how how do you go from this team who brought so much joy to Houston and I think it's also kind of really big to notice that the Rockets just a few years earlier won their back-to-backs with Hakeem Rudy T like all of them so they're continuing this whole like Houston basketball is legit type of thing and it's just kind of like, how do you go from winning the first four um, championships to then just, like, not existing basically in, like, a blink of an eye? I mean, they they won 97, 98, 99, 2000. Cool. And then, you know, in 01, Cooper, Cynthia Cooper retired. She was, you know, getting old. Um, I mean, they, you know, made the playoffs still. It wasn't like they were bad. They just didn't have, you know, a critical piece. So you're kind of going there. You're kind of like, you know, rebuilding. And then the owner, Leslie Alexander, is just kind of like, bye. Like, you're not, you know, doing well anymore. You're not winning, like, these championships. Like, right. see you later. Like, goodbye. <laughs> and, you know, sells the team to Hilton Cock and is – kind of was just like okay yeah I'm selling this team to you and you're not allowed to be in the Toyota Center anymore which used to be the compact center so it's the compact center first uh which is now an evangelical church and then they moved downtown to Toyota Center which is perfect that's like you know uh where Minute Maid Park is and like around that area so it's just kind of like okay cool like you got like baseball and then you can like you know, head over to Toyota and catch like a Comets game because the Rockets, you know, were in off season. Um, the Astros were doing whatever the Astros were doing, you know, not doing well, but then they were doing well because then they go to the World Series. It's like you could kind of just be like, yo, I'm going to the Comets game and then being like, oh, yeah, I want to hit up the Astros game after. It's just kind of like you could do that. So you're mm-hmm. in like a prime position in the Toyota Center. You're right there. You're downtown. You're going to get a lot of foot traffic. You're going to get a lot of people who want to go. And then you're moved to Reliant Arena, which is now NRG Arena, which hosts the Houston Rodeos Livestock Show. <laughs> so, yeah, just kind of like, 
think about that. You you got like this like nice little you know clean arena that holds like seven thousand people, yeah. and that's for like rodeo. So that's for like a livestock show, which is honestly pretty cool. But it's just for that. Like you're you're going there for that. You're and like rodeo seasons is like March, March, April. So it's not during the WNBA season. You're not going to have hay all over the place, like on your court. But it's just like you go from like kind of selling out all these games, no matter how bad your team was performing in a, you know, averaging like 13,000 fans in Toyota. And then you move away from downtown to Reliant, now NRG Arena, that only um, has like 7,200 people. Mm. But like you're still selling out the games. But then how can you expect to, to succeed if you're selling out the games, sure, but you're losing 6,000 fans. That's right. Give or take, yes. you know, 5,800, You're losing fans. And it's not like it's the team's fault. Like, Houston is like, I mean, Houston's a sports city. Even, like, when the Astros were terrible, when they were nicknamed the Disastros, people were still showing up. I mean, it took, it took a lot for them to show up. Like, they had to make a, like new different incentives like you can have like a gallon plastic bag and you can put like one like sealed like factory factory sealed water bottle and then like you can have like whatever food as long as it fits in like this gallon bag yeah and everything and they did that to you know draw more people and it did and they still have it even though minute maid sells out all the time because the ashes are good but it's like people still showed up and still made you know the teens profitable but also minute maid part hosts a lot of people Toyota Center hosts a lot of people, even like Rockets now, like they're not good. The Rockets suck, but people are still going to the games and still making it profitable. And you can go to Reliant Arena. You could be one of the 7,200 people to be able to be in there, but you can't make a team profitable when you lose 6,000 fans. That's just not a thing. So Mm -hmm. Leslie Alexander kind of F them over. I was kind of like, you're not my team anymore. You can't play where the Rockets play. Like, get out of my territory. We're going to throw you to the dump and basically set him out for failure. It was kind of like, okay, bye. Van Chancellor retires after that. Um, the team's in, like, disarray. And it's just like, what are you supposed to do when you're kind of just, like, kind of kicked out of your home that you've been in for the past, like, few years going to somewhere that barely hosts anyone that literally hosts freaking livestock shows like in March and April, what are you going to do? And it didn't help that in 2008, um, when Hilton cock put the team up for sale, that hurricane Ike devastated the city. Like what can you do? So it was kind of just like, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good situation when you had a mattress dude who, like, probably all his assets and his mattresses were, like, thrown out the, to- like, thrown out the window because they got flooded. It's like, you can't really afford this team anymore. You're kind of making promises to this team. Like, when Hilton bought the team, he, he was serious about it. No one could obviously predict a hurricane. Like, that's just not how it works. You can't predict a hurricane a year in advance. But he was like, I'm going to bring this team back to a dynasty. And I feel like if Hurricane Ike didn't happen, then, one, the comments would still be here. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully not in Reliant Arena. Hopefully in Toyota Center. But, like, 
I think the comments would still be here if a hurricane didn't happen and that the business side of it just kind of collapsed. Cause like you, you can't, like I said before, you, you can't control natural, natural disasters. That's just not something that you can just be like, poof, go away, hurricane by. If we did that, then Hurricane Harvey wouldn't have come and devastated Houston in 2017. Like, that's just not, you know, something you can do. And I think what really kind of disturbed a lot of people, and she it's not really touched on in this, like, you know, documentary, but when you do the research, it's kind of just like, because the $10 million asking price from Koch was just no one wanted it. But also, like, you can't really expect someone to be able to pour out $10 million when a hurricane just happened. So it was just, you know, bad timing. And, you know, no one could afford to do it because their businesses were devastated. Their assets need to go somewhere else to help with, like, hurricane relief for their families, for their, you know, employees. Just, like, you know, different circumstances. And I think probably the most troubling part of this for... I think in interviews that I've seen and articles I've read in the past um, was that their last ever game ever mm-hmm. in 2008, September 15th through 2008, I think is the date. Um, they finished 500. So 17, 17 missed the playoffs was not in Houston. They had to go travel to San Marcos. It's kind of an hour away from Austin, where Texas State University is, um, and had to play their last ever game at a college arena. Like, they they couldn't – they won. They beat Sacramento 90-81, to I believe. So they won. They still won. I mean, good way to go out, right? Yeah, that's right. But, like, but you didn't do it in front of your home. You didn't do it in Houston. And the league president was just kind of like, yo, um, it's only going to be for a year. It's only 09. After 09, 2010, they're back. They're going to be back. Um, it's, it's, it's 2022. <laughs> mm. I think that probably was something that they, they could have, you know, I think that was like a big impact probably in Cheryl Swoop's life as well. I mean, she wasn't, you know, on the team anymore. Uh, she was in, you know, like Seattle. Like, well, I mean, she obviously couldn't be on the team anymore. The comments weren't existing, but she got allocated, I think, to like Seattle and like mm. the dispersal draft. And then she signed with Tulsa Shock. That's now the Dallas Wings. So it's just, it's just like sucks because you're told and that like, yo, like our team is just going to be gone for a year. Next year you can come back. Everything's going to be okay. Like all this stuff. And then it's like gone. And I think that had to have impacted her. Tina Thompson was another thing. Mm-hmm. Just all these players, even Cynthia Cooper. She was, she was retired. I mean, she wasn't, you know, she was gone. But it had to have disturbed them too. And then when you think about in the film, like the different, the differing personalities, but then they all, you know, come together and everything to, with their main goal of winning, winning the yeah. championship, winning all this. Is just like, okay, so what about the personalities? Your goal is to still win this game, which they did, the four in the row, deferring personalities, still did it, cool. But then your goal with all these people, because you kind of become a family, even if your personalities are just kind of like, you don't, you know, like each other, but like your one goal is kind of just to be like, yo, let's bring this team back. Obviously, they're not back yet. But I think that also kind of foreshadowed, especially when they interviewed um, Coop and Tina, 
were just kind of just like you can see that they still band together and when like you know the comets folded they definitely band together and were just kind of like you know relied on each other mm -hmm. and i think that even if that wasn't you know showed showed in the documentary and this you know added information i'm like you know telling y'all um it's just kind of you, you see it with the personalities and everything kind of being like you're you're bonding together as a family for one goal and you're mourning as a family mm. and you know they had to mourn as a family for someone during and during their championship run yeah that's right um we will come back to that because like yeah there's obviously stuff that i want to add on about um the houston comets that you know ceased to exist in 2008 um and i think that like yeah one of the moments of the documentary that really like struck me was when they were talking about how the houston comet ceased to exist at, at the at the moment um and i don't remember who it was that said it but um one of the people that the documentary interviewed um basically asked like you know how does Cheryl swoops with all the accolades that she's had, um, all the history that she or that she has that is like attached to the Houston Comets, especially, like not have a place to hang her jersey or you know, anything Van like Chancellor. that? So, yeah. Van um, and yeah, like that, like that quote really like struck me just in terms of like thinking about like, yeah, the like real effects of these people who had so much to do with the early success or the success in general of a team um not have anywhere that sort of like proudly sort of like you know puts up their pieces of history or you know makes total mention of it or you know not somewhere where someone can go and like actually learn about like these people and what happened to the team um you know when they were a team yeah and it's just it, it hurts me to this day because when you're someone that was like that high profile of a player who led this organization, was one of the faces of the league, and you you move back to Houston after, you know, all the troubles that she has. She's, you know, back here. She kind of had her up upside here, her downfalls here. She left. She came back. You know, she kind of like, you know, she grew up in Houston. She still lives here now. Mm -hmm. Like, she – you obviously want to come back and, you know, see your old team play. Mm -hmm. um, I, when I was at, you know, I covered the Dallas Wings, I covered the WNBA. So when I, I would go to the Dallas Wings games and there were former players who were there um, who didn't play for Dallas. Obviously, I mean, there was like one that was there. Christmas Christmas Kelly was there, but like older players. And one of them was Tina Thompson. She didn't play for Dallas. Dallas didn't exist. Yeah. She didn't play for the Shock. Um, Detroit or Tulsa, what they were the b before. But she was there because Texas is also her home. So, like, the closest thing that you have to coming home is the Dallas Wings. And that's not to, like, bash the Wings, throw shade at the Wings. I love them. Like, they, you know, they brought me in. And I felt, you know, good connections with those people. But that's not Houston. That's not the Houston Comets. That's not your organization. No. And to not be able to be honored by your organization, it has to be heartbreaking. Like Becky Hammond, current coach of the Vegas Aces, 
Um, she played in San Antonio for the San Antonio Stars, and she was honored um, last year. So before she became head coach of the Aces, her jersey was retired because that is still the same organization in a different location. Houston doesn't have that. Yeah. So the Rockets can't be like, yo, we're going to retire Swoops 22 because the Rockets have nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. They they can't do anything. That's They're not in the WNBA. They're not owned by the same people. I feel like they had like, you know, joint ownership and like Leslie Alexander didn't just kick them to the curb. Then that would be a little bit of a different thing. I don't know the schematics of it. I'm just kind of, you know, spitballing here. Like maybe like that could happen, but there's no one there's no organization to do that Houston was Houston and Houston's gone. Like you can't go into Toyota center now where fun fact, the banners are hanging. The championship banners are there. Kim Perot's Jersey and Cynthia Cooper's Jersey 10 and 14 are there. So um, they're at the Toyota center. I don't think they were going to, you know, just make them sit at a livestock show and have like horses just chill and look at them. Like, I mean, like it's it's still there and everything, but they can't they can't come and being like, yo, we're about to retire swoops, Jersey, like let's go homecoming. They can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like Tina Thompson, I'm sure wants her jersey retired too by Houston, but there's no one that can retire it. So you mm-hmm. literally like what Van Chancellor said, like you come home and you have no one be like, number twenty two, Cheryl, swoops. There's no one here to do that. It's kind of like you're irrelevant, but you're not irrelevant. You're just irrelevant in the fact that there is no team for you to come home to. There's no team for you to watch and be like, yo, I cemented this legacy here. I was pregnant. I came back. But everyone was like, no, you can't come back from a pregnancy. You can't have a kid and then come back and play ball. It's just like there, there's no one to, to, you know, to tell you that. You should go to Texas Tech. I mean, her jersey is retired there. But that's not the WNBA. That's not anything that has to do with that. She's in the Houston Sports Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That's on the WNBA retirement jersey type of thing. She deserves her jersey to be retired. But like Van Chancellor said, there's no one here that can do it. She can't go back. She can't give life lessons to current Comets players, which a lot of you know former players do. Um I mean, you see it in the NFL, the NBA, you do see it in the WNBA, you see it in all these, at least like major pro leagues in the United States. Yeah. There's no one she can, you know, do that to. It can't be like, yo, little Comets player, whatever your name is, Jane Doe. Like, you, you can't be like, yo, Jane, like, I'm going to tell you the story and like, I'm going to give you, you know, advice and everything. There's no Jane Doe. <laughs> like, there's, there's no one walking around Toyota Center wearing you know, Comets practice jerseys. There's no game to go to. Mm-hmm. And I think Van was very much spot on. It's like, you're coming back to the city that you gave so much to and that gave so much to you that you, you know, grew up, you learned here, and then it's gone. The city's still here. I, I can tell you it's still here. I live here. <laughs> but the the legacy of the Comets, I mean, it's people know who the Comets are. Yeah. I will literally walk around and like the shirt I'm wearing right now, my 1997 championship shirt. I'll walk around there and be like, yo, I wish the comments came back. I'll be in target. And people will be like, yo comments. When, um, when I wear my WNBA mask, I'll be like, yo, Oh my God. I just watched like Diana Taurasi, but like just random people I'll be around and everything. And I'm just like, Oh, do you go to comments games? And these are people who are older than me. And they were like, yeah, I had season tickets. I loved it. And that was so sad. Like when I left and there's like no one I can root for 
and everything because I don't want to root for Dallas because of the Dallas-Houston rivalry. But I'm just – but, like, I'll watch, you know, the games when they're on, you know, like ESPN or ABC. Like, but they the, the city wants Houston. They, they want the comments back. It might not seem like it, but they do. And I think Van Chancellor really kind of pulled the heartstrings there for, you know, for Cheryl, but also for just kind of like Houston people who loved women's basketball. I mean, they showed you in the archives, that place was packed. Yeah. 1998 championship parade. They're literally all over downtown. To see the joy in those people's faces in the archives and then to, you know, talk to people just randomly in Target or in like Barnes and Noble or just anywhere, even in Whataburger, like just random people who they want this team back, but people don't understand that like there are Houstonians who want this team, but there's no one to advocate on behalf of Houston. And I think Van Chancellor was spot on about that. I think we can just like come to the conclusion that like, it's obviously really disappointing that that, is the case and like that's sort of like the mood with a lot of people that were uh former Houston Comets players as well and like their general like mood and like reception to like this sort of thing happening and I mean you sort of like touched on it a bit before about how Tulsa became Dallas moved to Dallas um in 2010 or 2011 um but like I think a part of that as well is like it's been 15 years since the WNBA last expanded, adding the Atlanta Dream as their 14th team before the 2008 season. And that was at the start of the Houston Comets last season. But I mean, even now, like they're talking about expanding the WNBA even more. And I think like Toronto and Oakland are the two sort of front runners for that. But like, you know, even now, like, and you know, you were mentioning like the rivalry between Houston and Dallas as well. Like, you know, so like even now, like there's no WNBA team or like, you know, no one sort of like state has two WNBA teams. So like you don't really have that rivalry, right? And so like I guess my question to you is like obviously you want a Houston Comets to come back to the WNBA. I'm sure like a lot of other fans do, you know, former fans, people who remember those times want that. So I guess, like, do you ever see the Houston Comets coming back to the WNBA, um, you know, in sort of, like, whatever capacity as, like, all of these talks of expansion and expanding the league um, begin to sort of, like, ramp up after 15 years when it last happened? Like, you know, do you see the Houston Comets perhaps coming back into the WNBA at any point in the future? So that's actually that's actually a really good question. Um so I do want to like, you know, start off back in like Dallas Houston rivalry real quick and then I'll go to this. I think this is important. So the hashtag this year for the wings was hashtag all for Texas because it's the only team in Texas. So it's like, you know, you're representing Texas, the wings. They I mean, they made they had their first home playoff game. It was a fun game to go to. They lost, but it was fun. I had fun covering it. Like great. <laughs> um but at one point, the San Antonio Stars, uh, they were Silver Stars back then. Utah Stars, San Antonio Silver Stars were um, in Texas at the same time as Houston. So I guess there was kind of like a little perennial rivalry there because Houston and the Utah Stars also had a little rivalry. So I think it was kind of just like cool. And then both of those leave. Yeah. So it, when the Wings came to uh, Texas from Tulsa in 16, the um, Stars were – preparing to leave at 18 so then it was kind of just like you had a little Dallas Antonio rivalry there 
I mean, there the Spurs fans and Mass fans have you know a rivalry, but it's kind of like, yeah, the little one, and then Dallas is like on its own now. Like, great. At a Wings game that I was covering this year, um, it was against the Aces during the season, and the Wings beat them by two. I remember this so specifically because Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner, was there, and in-person media they do a uh, zoom and in person but i was there in person if you wanted to talk to kathy and you were media you had to be there in person there was no zoom it was very informal it was just like we all had chairs she was sitting with us type of thing just you know talking just like we could ask you know whatever questions we wanted um about the league about expansion about you know her state of like the state of the league and like what she sees how she's like the rise of like marketing and popular just like you know different stuff that you would ask like that you would you know want to ask a commissioner and one of the questions I asked because I'm me was do you think that in the future the Houston Commons will end up coming back and her answer was I really want them to come back and it's all about um potential investors and although they're not on the short list of the names we have at the current moment which you know include toronto and oakland i think nashville's on there it's in the different other cities not in texas uh she was just like we do have some people who are talking and we want to make sure that everything is very serious we don't want to expand and then the team fold a few years later because that actually did happen in the league with the miami soul and the portland fire um, the soul ended up moving to Connecticut because the Connecticut Sun Portland Fire just dropped off the face of the universe. They were done. So it was kind of like a really good genuine being like, we want this team to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked in like what capacity in the sense of a rebrand or like, you know, bring back the Comets because the league still owns the rights to the Comets. So mm-hmm. the league finds an investor for the Comets um, they can just hand over the rights to the Comets, to everything Comets. The logo, um, the uniform, the design, the colors, everything. It's not like when the Texans left for Tennessee and the Titans have the Oilers. I'm sorry, when the Oilers left for Tennessee and became the Titans and the Titans have the Oilers thing so the Texans can't wear Oilers colors for their alternate. It's not like that. It's just literally like hand over the rights to the Comets. Like, here you go. Um and Kathy was very much, she was like, we want someone to bring back Houston who is serious and has a good plan and does not want to give up on this league. Yeah. Now, with that being said, yes, I think it will come back. I don't think it will come back in the next, like, three years that Kathy is anticipating on adding, like, another, like, another, like two teams, I think. Yeah. I think it will take a little bit more time. Um, I think Houston probably has to reprove themselves some way, somehow. Um, I, I don't know how they would. Maybe the Rockets need to win a championship. Right now, I don't think they're, they're not going to do it anytime soon. Like, I, I don't have the answers on, like, how can Houston prove themselves. I do think that they will come back eventually. And when they do, I'll actually refer hometown team. Uh, the last part that we'll talk about in this particular segment is about Cheryl uh, coming out. And um, so at the turn of the century, she divorced her uh, first husband um, with who they had a kid as well. Um, And in 2005, she came out um, as, you know, I don't think it was ever explicitly stated as 
gay or anything like that. Um, you know, she didn't, she wasn't ever really one or it didn't seem like she was one to really put labels on anything. Um, but she did begin a relationship with one of the Comet's assistant coaches. Um, and that was Elisa Scott. Um, and so I think that like, yeah, obviously the film tackled this, um, because it was such a big moment at the time. Um, and so Cheryl was, I think, the first, um, you know, real sort of prominent uh, figure within the WNBA to address this sort of stuff um, and be so, like, open and public about this or, like, you know, choose to be so open and public about this. Um, and it obviously had effects, whether it was positive or negative, because obviously you've got those people who see it as a real positive um, that someone is able to stand up, speak up about what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, um, and, you know, just create that conversation, normalise that sort of thing. And then you've got the negative impacts as well, um, you know, that just come with, you know, some people's, you know, opinions, views about this sort of thing, um, you know, how it can negatively, like, impact someone um, to hear all this sort of, like, negative commentary um and you know like we'll talk about it as well about like how the media sort of like span this particular narrative and like really like sort of drilled down on trying to interpret like what you know Cheryl was sort of feeling and what she was going through um and try and interpret it in their own words um essentially but yeah like I guess yeah we'll just uh chat about that particular moment yeah so like she came out and like 2005 and 2005 I mean it's hard to believe like 17 years ago like that was 17 years ago but that's obviously different times from now like being uh LGBTQ is more widely accepted now um a lot more athletes are coming out mainly in you know the women's league the WNBA has whole pride stuff they have tons of LGBT people there are literally married couples on the same team as each other it's just like they got it and everything but like back then that, that's like not a thing back then so you, you don't come out in sports in 2005 that's just like not not a thing that like you you do and Cheryl's just kind of like I'm just gonna do it on my own terms I don't care whatever like uh, consequences great I don't care doing it sucks and she's just kind of like like she's just gonna go on and do it like good, good for you but there's an issue in 05 when you do that yeah because <laughs> she says it in the documentary is that she probably should have you know told the league instead of just doing it boom and that doesn't mean she couldn't do it she there's nothing in her you know in her comments contract that's just like no you cannot um come out type of thing you can't do there's nothing like it written in words that i mean that's probably illegal back then like that's there's nothing saying that like you, know, you can't go to the media and like come out about your life and be authentic but like cheryl admits like yeah maybe i should have gone to the league first mm -hmm. to at least talk about the potential repercussions of it um the positive and the negative instead of it just being so abrupt and um I mean, I'm all for Cheryl just going out there and being like, yo, I'm in love with a woman. But 
I also think that she probably should have just at least told the league, told Val Akerman of her plan instead of just shocking everyone in 2005. Now, in 2022, go off. They don't care. Have fun. Like, they have literally have pride events, like, all the time. Like, they, they march in pride parades in the summer during season. So now it's whatever. But back in 05, it's like, you probably should have told the league about this. Van Chancellor was just like, I don't care what you do, like, in, you know, your personal life. Cool. Um, probably should have thought more about it just in case because then it's kind of going to be like, okay, well, what, what image is it going to give to, like, families with like young girls in WNBA is it gonna be like is it gonna like if our girls like women's basketball is that gonna be they're gonna be gay and everything and that's like not to say like don't come out type of thing but it's at least kind of just like opening your options up and kind of just being like okay this is what's gonna happen here's all the possible scenarios you can still do whatever you want um you'll probably still be you know, loved and everything, but just like make sure that like you know what can happen, what good can happen from this, what bad can happen from this. And honestly, in my opinion, I think a lot of good happened from it because it really did force the league to kind of approach their target audience. There was no way that there weren't like LGBTQ couples that were at, you know, comments games. I mean, Houston's literally the most diverse city in the South and the most diverse city in Texas. They're actually probably getting up there with New York as most diverse city in the United States. They're the most LGBTQ friendly city in the South. There's not going to like, you know, be an issue in Houston per se, but what is this going to like, look like for the whole league in 2005? So it really did force the league without even any prior knowledge of any of this happening to be like, oh no. Like, what do we do now? Like, how do we save face? But also, how do we, like, not mess up anything? Because now, like, all these fans who are queer or trans or anything are going to, like, now, like, pop up to more games, which is great. Publicity, woo. But then it's also just, like, how about the people that are just going to be, like, oh, my God, no, we're going to lose fans. And I think that's also just kind of, like, in the perennial sports world anyways, that, like, they think they're going to, like, lose fans from, like, like lose like a great amount of fans from like expanding coverage to like women's sports or something but then you're actually gonna gain fans because now you just kind of you kind of opened up your your coverage and like your broadcasting your publicity and whatever and being like yo like this is a place for like women's sports coverage and the wnba was kind of like yo this is a place for like for you to be who you are i mean it took them a few years to like you know start having pride nights and stuff but that's kind of to be expected but like it became like a worldwide phenomenon. Obviously you have this woman who's like one of the best in the world and she comes out, but she doesn't explicitly come out mm-hmm. as gay, but she does say like that Sue Wicks, who's a former Liberty player, um, she's gay. And she does say in the documentary that a lot of it enraged a lot of people the way that she said it, because she said, I didn't like, I wasn't born gay, but like I chose something. It was like really oddly worded. um in her quote and i think that also probably got misconstrued with with a lot of lgbtq fans back then because the media was kind of like cheryl swoops is gay and like swoops did probably say like 
oh yeah, I think like I'm gay, but like I'm also in love with a woman. So she never explicitly put on that label, be like, oh, I am gay, I am a lesbian. She didn't do that. She always just kind of said, I'm in love with a woman, and then the media took it and ran with it and be like, Cheryl Smith is gay. And that's why she divorced her husband. Oh no. Like, and then when she gets, you know, now her her current husband uh, gets engaged to him and fiance in um, the documentary, everyone's just like, wait, like, is she lying to us? Because also, like, bisexuality wasn't really, like, a spoken thing. Mm -hmm. And everything, so like Cheryl never you know labeled herself I mean good on her she doesn't want you there's no one you know requiring you to label yourself as anything um doesn't want to label herself she doesn't want to label herself but she does make it very clear in that documentary being like I love people and I like being loved and that means that she's probably not straight if she loved um a woman said woman to raise Jordan, her son, like she clearly is not straight. Yeah. She just doesn't have a label. And the media just took it, ran with it, and said, Oh, you're a lesbian, bye. Like, <laughs> ha 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 ha. But like, she's not. I mean, she she kind of just loved who she loves and she loves who she loves now. It just kind of shows like how the media was back then in the 2000s versus what the media would be like now if she came out right now she probably would have been like oh i am dating a woman and everything and wnba fans now would be like yeah but they wouldn't like care about the label or anything they would just like rage and like take like some like comment stuff and being like yo yay make like a pride flag because they yeah. the teams have like pride flags literally like their logo and then it's the uh pride colors yeah. so it's just kind of like they would you know do that now they wouldn't question it because people now understand that like you don't particularly need a label but back then gay or straight pick one so yeah that's i right. think that's yeah. kind of the harm of the media back in 05 versus what the media would be like now in 2022 yeah that's right i think it's like more so also like the language um and just like the general like acceptance of like you know different identities different you know sexualities um and like you know like you said like you might not have had all of that at back in 2005 but like nowadays that you do um but like again like yeah like you know no one really needs to put a label on anything um and I obviously don't you know don't think that Cheryl did in a way and I think like for her like obviously like yeah she didn't put a label on anything and like she may have like uttered the word gay but like I think that like yeah like I said like language sorts sort of evolves and like you sort of like take some terms to be like you know more umbrella terms as well so like you know like that word could mean like anything now as well um or just like you know a more generalized term or like you know I feel like I feel like that's the case um but I think that like for Cheryl like she was obviously you know made such a pivotal like decision to be so open and public about this and like it was like a big show of like strength and like um being so like powerful like such a powerful moment to do so like you know to essentially say like you know this is my life you know out and proud this is who I am um and like become that sort of like pioneer as we sort of talked about about her being like one of the first sort of high profile athletes to come out in um some sort of way um and yeah like like you said like you know it sort of forced the league to be like you know what do we do but i think that this sort of stuff is like so much more common 
um, and accepted nowadays that like, you know, you don't really have a single person, you know, come out or, you know, for so much of the focus to be on that. Like, it's just like, you know, accepted. It's just like, you know, take it for what it is. Like you don't need this whole media circus about this particular person. You don't need to like harrow in on like specific details or anything like that. And so I think that like those, like those times have changed. Um, And like, you know, like you said, like, you know, you're going to have leagues um, where, you know, you're going to have, you know, couples playing with each other against each other. Like, you know, you even, you know, you say in the WNBA, like I'm thinking about like the AFLW over here, like, you know, like um, you've got teammates who like are married and that sort of thing. And so like, I think that, yeah, it's just become so much more accepted, so much more normalized now that, um, you know, the sort of like, I don't know, just the pile on that, like Cheryl seemed to experience, like you just don't get that nowadays anymore. And I think that that's great. Exactly. And like, I just kind of think about this. I've been thinking about it for a little bit. Like, what if she didn't come out? You know, Mm -hmm. what if, like, where would the WNBA be like right now? Like, if she didn't come out? Because I feel like it would probably be around, you know, where the same it is right now with, you know, being very much proponents for LGBTQ rights and pride and this. But it took, like, years, like I said before, for, like, the first, you know, Pride event to come out um, and, like, be played and everything and then for it to, you know, become a league-wide thing. Would that have, you know, waited a few more years? Or, like, would it just not you know happen or would it just you know be like you know the same and you you can't you know rewrite history you can't just go back and just kind of be like okay so you know it's gonna be completely on track like she's gonna come out and xyz years later the sparks will have the first pride thing and then all that i think it was the sparks like a team will have the first pride event and then it will become a big league thing but like how quickly would that have been i think that's a really big question to be asked um and thankfully we don't really have to know that answer because it's completely fine now that's <laughs> it's, right. it's kind of it just makes you think just like if this didn't happen if cheryl swoops did not come out when she did in a weird time um abruptly where would this league be in the history of proponents for lgbtq rights and activism where would they be would they be as big as they are now um would they not be at all which is very heavily unlikely um would the league have as many out players as they do now chicago has a married couple um connecticut has an engaged couple and a couple that's just you know girlfriends um they're then definitely you know in their team like people dating from you know two different teams like would that you know be a big thing right now would Courtney Van Sloot and Allie Quigley be allowed to you know play on the same team together in Chicago the Vanderquigs or would they have had to keep their marriage a secret like where would it be right now and thankfully we don't have to know that's right no that's exactly right all right moving on I guess we can't really dissect the acting performances so much. 
Um, but there were a few interviews by prominent people within the NBA, the WNBA, the Houston Comets, um, commentators and journalists, even Cheryl's family, etc., telling their side of things and providing their insight into the topics that were being discussed throughout the whole documentary. Um, so I guess, like, is there anyone that you particularly want to highlight in terms of, like, how they appeared um, in this documentary, um, you know, what they might have talked about, what, you know, depths of conversation that they might have, like, you know, added to this documentary at all? Uh, I think all of them added such crucial elements because it gives, you know, different sides. It's about Ackerman was the president, Van Chancellor, the head coach, Coop and Thompson, her teammates of the big three, Sue Wicks, an LGBTQ member who also, you know, played against the Comets and Swoops, you know, in the league. I think the most crucial element in Swoops' story was her mom and her brothers. Because mm-hmm. how are you going to talk about her upbringing without ta- without talking with her mom and her brothers? You can't. Yeah. You can't just talk about her like little town in Brownsfield of nine thousand people um, playing like on a basketball court that doesn't even look like a you know normal basketball court. It's just concrete and like a broken broken net. Like um, playing with her brothers. And how, you know, she grew up with that mentality, like that dog mentality of, you know, being able to, you know, achieve what she wanted to achieve as being a champion, being like the best. You can get to that part of Swoops' story and all of her successes without talking about her um, childhood and her home life and all the adversity that she had to overcome to get to where uh, she was then, is now. Um, you had to get her family in there. You had to. Who else can give a great perspective, outside quote-unquote perspective, of Swoops uh, growing up than her family? No one. You you get Cheryl, you get her um, side of the story, but her family is the next best crucial element. I think um, having them as big proponents in this documentary throughout it was so good because mm-hmm. it really really gave an insight as to her upbringing um what she was like what she was told um and you know what inspired her to be great and the family just the best element for that yeah absolutely. been there her whole life <laughs> that's right yeah i think that like yeah i think that her family were the most important um, people to speak to like besides Cheryl herself um, I think that like I really liked how like as the story progressed on Cheryl's life you know from her upbringing college WNBA everything beyond that like um, you know the film spoke or introduced different people to speak about those specific um, moments or like you know time periods um, and so like I really liked that aspect I think that like you know, obviously you got her mum and her brothers at the start as well. Um, I think that like, and like, this is only like a slight thing. Like, I don't think it changed too much about like how I viewed it, but I think that like, I would have liked to have seen them like be more involved in and seeing their like, um, you know, input, you know, in those other stages as well, not just the upbringing and college life. Um, 
because like I think that like yeah it'd be really good to get their views about like how they viewed uh Cheryl like throughout different moments of her time as well but like like I said, like you got that sort of commentary from others as well. And I don't think like, you know, you felt like you were really missing it too much because like you knew what they were like in Cheryl's upbringing and like, you know, that they were really like obviously supportive, um, you know, uh, you know, yeah, they were really supportive of uh, all her sort of like endeavors and who she wanted to be, um, you know, even despite sometimes her mum being like, you know, come back home you know, don't play, you know, a sport for boys or anything like that. But I think like deep down you understood like how they felt towards her. Yeah. And, you know, adding on to that with like, you know, different stages in her life, you know, when she had to declare bankruptcy and like when she was bankrupt, she had all, you know, her memorabilia, all her achievements, everything. And, you know, that storage locker mm-hmm. Um, that obviously aside from, you know, meaning so much to Cheryl, that's, you know, her accomplishments. How did it feel with her family? Because that's a part of her family, too. Her family were involved in all her, you know, accomplishments, um, all her accolades. How did that feel to them to see, you know, your sister and your daughter go through all this, not having all the stuff that, you know, made her who she is? That would have been, you know, a really good piece to have them there for um but it like definitely doesn't you know change the way that like I watched um the documentary the first time in 2020 and you know this week all right well we are just about wrapping up now but we do ask one more prompt it is if you could have a basketball film get made what would it be and why so Lauren do you have an idea for this particular segment oh yeah so (laughs) I have two I actually have two uh, one is, um, I mean, it's on the comments. I would love like um, a whole, you know, mini series on the comments in general. Um, why not, you know, ask um, Swoops, Coop, and Tina to come back into it, and then you know, Rebecca Lobo was there for a hot second. Um, Lisa Leslie was not on the comments, but she was, you know, one of the three that were marketed in the beginning with Swoops. It was her, um, Swoops and Rebecca Lobo like just kind of like bring like different players from the different eras and like you know coaches van chancellor's alive i mean bring them all back here and kind of like make a whole you know mini series and everything on the comets my second one um so phoenix mercury forward brianna turner said uh like right before the playoffs it was just like does e60 still exist i think we need like a mini series or she said something around that and I'm like with all of like the stuff that went on with this year's Phoenix Mercury I want a series about everything <laughs> give me the whole season because this season was you know turmoil I mean you know it when you don't have Brittany Griner who is like you know the glue of the team who's wrongfully detained in Russia it's kind of like Kim Parat was the glue of the team for the comments you don't have her and you have all these differing personalities kind of going in there I was like I just want to see like a whole thing like a new coach just everything was just so new injuries um and all this stuff I was like give me like a little series on this year's phoenix mercury that would be so entertaining i would love it because like they also just like got into the playoffs and technically they really shouldn't have (laughs) 
but they snuck their way into the seven seed to get sweep to get they snuck their way into the seven seed to get swept by the aces but like just a little series on that would be really cool kind of like how they you know overcame the adversity of like not having bg and all these injuries different you know drama interpersonal relationships that you know went on throughout the season to making the playoffs like i think that'd be really cool yeah definitely would you believe me if I said that my idea involved Phoenix Mercury as well? Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, let me hear it. Let me hear so it. It's sort of like, you know, similarly to Cheryl Swoops in terms of like first player to be signed in the WNBA. Um, and so my idea is the first Australian player to be signed and play in the WNBA. And that is Michelle Timms. Um, yeah. And so she played for the Phoenix Mercury for five seasons from 1999 to 2001 um, and, you know, was a WNBA All-Star in 1999. Her number seven is retired by the Phoenix Mercury. Um, and I think that she obviously just played an influential role in opening the gates for other sort of like international women's players to play in the WNBA and especially, um, you know, Australians as well um, because I mean, there's been 40 uh, Australians to play or be selected for WNBA teams. And so, like, I think just like, yeah, um, obviously being the first is a pretty significant milestone. Um, and, you know, her first season was pretty good. She averaged just over 12 points a game um, and, you know, obviously made the playoffs in two of those seasons as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, like, for you know for her like being the first Australian like it was a pretty decorated career um and I think that yeah just having a film about her being the first paving the way for others um would be really good to show I would I'd be on watching that in two seconds like <laughs> I, lo I love that idea all right well that does now bring us to the end of the episode so Lauren would you like to share your social media handles and anywhere else where our listeners can find you yeah, so my Twitter and Instagram are both LRosenberg101. And you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Jace Irves. You've been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view any of our stories, be it sport, culture, or politics, on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.